Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If you are, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. If you're not, you're missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is designed with you in mind and has tons of cool features like curated, shareable playlists and collections made just for you, along with personalized recommendations to help with content discovery. And the best part is, it's super easy to use. It's definitely my favorite listening app, and I'm sure it'll be yours too. So do yourself a favor, download Himalaya today, and be sure to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 170 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Thursday, uh, (laughs) I almost said July, Uh, December 19th, uh, 2019, pretty fucking opposite of July in Florida right now, believe it or not. Temperatures went all the way down to 30 degrees Fahrenheit last night. Ooh. Does that scare you, Mike? Is that cold? 30 degrees Fahrenheit? Yeah, it's pretty cold. Yeah. I mean, that's... I mean, that's that's like the equivalent of freezing in Florida, is my guess. Oh, yeah, for sure. It it actually didn't get... I don't think it got 30. I think it was like 35 or something. I hear... Uh I literally hear everyone yelling at me right now, calling me a pussy. Like, even though this is like going to be retroactively yelling because, you know, whatever. But, you know, I can't help that I grew up in a warm, temperate... Uh, tropical climate or what is it subtropical i don't know but uh yeah it's fucking cold here that's my point how you how you been mike how you doing this week i'm doing good i got my grades back i passed all my classes i got three a's and one c uh in that one online class that i expected to get a c in so uh pretty uh pleased overall with the uh results of I mean, it's the first C I've had in a while, but this class was ridiculous. So, I mean, like, so much of the grade hinged on two tests, and if you fucked up on one test, all the other work you did didn't really carry that much weight. Um, but that's just, I blame the teacher and her particular uh, setup for the class. Uh, but, eh, I, at least I passed it. I, I'm I'm glad that I found a way to... Pull it out in the end. That's what she said. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was a solid, been, that's what she said, moment. Work has been getting pretty steady and busy. Yesterday was a pretty uh, long day, and uh, definitely felt it when I got home. It was one of those like, oh, I have plenty of energy, I'm gonna do some stuff for YouTube, and then it was like, nope. <laughs> oh, yeah, especially if you're if you're on your feet for, like, six, seven, eight hours. Yeah, it's, yeah. like, it's pretty draining. I remember yeah. when I worked at CVS, I probably said this a million times on this podcast. So I did both. I, I was a cashier for a good chunk of it, and then I was also on the floor dealing with customers and go-backs and everything. People are impatient. They don't, and I mean, not not in general. Some people are impatient, and some people don't really have any compassion or respect or appreciation for you know retail workers. So they think that they should never make a mistake ever, and there's no excuses, 
and if mistakes are made, then they should be fired. You know, some people are just, you know, they're just fucking stuck up pricks sometimes. <laughs> um, but I mean, whatever. My my place is pretty solid where I am. Um, I've, I'm one of the best employees there, so it's going to take a lot more than some random guest talking shit to get me in trouble. Uh, wow. <laughs> I'm still hung up on that C that you got, Mike. What I'm going to need you to do, because, you know, we have high standards in this house. I need you to take your pants off, go in my bedroom, and lay across the bed, and I'll be in there in a minute with the belt, because you need discipline. Are you sure it's discipline for me, or is it uh, something else for you? <laughs> you know, we you know fucking <laughs> si- what the sick thing about it is is like that's that was like the old school way of like punish. I mean, in America at least, no people listen in other countries. Like, oh, what the hell is he talking about? That sounds disgusting. And it was, but back in like my parents' time, uh, like you just get whipped with the belt. Yeah. Well, yeah, but not only that, but they'd make you like take your pants off and like. I don't know. Maybe this was just what happened to my dad, but yeah, my my step grandfather would would make my dad like like take his pants off and like lean over the bed to where his like butt cheeks were just out. But then, uh. yeah, and then he'd like spank him with the belt. That's pretty uh, homoerotic, if you ask me. Yeah, that is. Maybe my step grandfather was gay. Could that, that opens a whole Could've other can, that opens a whole other can of worms. I don't even want to think about. Reminds me of that scene in uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge, where the coach uh, and like the PE teacher, it seems like he, he's gay or he's bi or he's in the closet. And there's a scene where Freddy makes a wet towel come to life and whip him in the ass. Yeah. That's what that reminded you of? Yeah. My step-grandfather whipping my young dad's bare ass reminded you of that? Well, because it's the whole bare ass thing with the whole like uh, sadomasochistic whatever God, you know S and M. You have so much random uh, movie uh, scenes in your head at any given time. <laughs> like, what the fuck? How must well, it mean, be living in your brain, Mike? Do you are you constantly are movies constantly being triggered into your head from seeing like things in everyday life? Oh, this is like that scene from that 1978 movie. Fucking Black Widow, where the blah da da blah da da blah. Black Widow. I don't know. <laughs> that's that's what happens uh, when I have to pull stuff no, out my ass. No, it not not all the time. Only when I when I think about it. So it doesn't it doesn't interrupt things. It's not like a random thing. Mike, do you hear voices in your head that tell no. you to do bad things? No, I don't. Oh, I do. Is that- oh, really? Okay. I thought you had gotten over your anxiety, or at least took in, uh, took back control of it. No, I actually <laughs> don't hear voices. Um, no, I, uh, I actually, I guess I have. I've guess I've like settled into it better. My panic attacks have kind of gone down so much to the point that I'm like weaning myself off my uh, brain medication, my anti-anxiety medication, if you will. Um, so yeah, we'll- I, love you, I love how you call it brain medication. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was try- I was just trying to be cheeky there for a moment, but uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm trying to wean myself off. Uh, the medicine, maybe not fully, but I'm taking half the doses, dosage yeah. I was because, um, yeah, the, just the kind of the fatigue and the lethargy that I was getting from it was, uh, kind of, uh, intrusive and, um, just the, uh, 
there's sexual side effects to taking this medication. Uh-huh. You know, it, it makes uh, makes you, your your uh, lower <laughs> bits not as sensitive as they would normally be. So uh, sometimes it's kind of uh, hard to uh, get to the top of the hill there. Okay. If you know what I'm talking about. All right. Okay. Getting a little personal here with my life, you know. <laughs> Sometimes I forget that people listen to this, but here you go. Here it is, you know. <laughs> if you can't be honest with yourself in front of a lot of strangers, who can you be honest in front of? <laughs> this is like the only place where you could probably be that honest. Because if you're in a party or something or you're in another public place and you just break the ice by talking about right. how... They can respond back and say shit. With this format, you you people are just forced to listen to whatever the <laughs> fuck I say, and you can't respond back. At least not in real time. Mike is the only filter between my brain and your ears. <laughs> so, and Mike, much like a set of, you know, lackluster tonsils, doesn't always catch all the bacteria, so... <laughs> Sometimes it goes through. This is this is a weird podcast already. I can tell you right now, this is a fucking weird episode. We're off to but, a weird but start. It's, but it's a, usually a weird podcast. Yeah, that's true. So, Mike, it's the, it's the holiday season, and I feel like we haven't really talked about Christmas or anything holiday-related. Well, a big part of why I don't really talk about Christmas or holiday stuff is because every day is fucking Christmas for me uh, where I work, so... It's a little bit tiring. Oh, I thought you were going to say every day is Christmas for me being a white male in America. Ooh, I'm so fucking woke. I am a woke motherfucker saying that. Hashtag white, (laughs) hashtag acknowledge your privilege, Mike. Yeah, uh, no. Oh, okay. I mean, are are you trying to tell me that being a white man in America, you don't get a gift basket every day delivered to your door that says... Congratulations on nope. being white. You don't? Because no. I do. So you must have fucked up somehow. <laughs> you must not be pure. Because I get a basket every day, and, and women and minorities don't know this, but as a white man in America, uh, just for being white, you get a gift basket, and it's actually got um, uh, access cards to the best jobs in this country. And uh, it gives you like one of those Monopoly cards, but you give it to your landlord and you don't have to pay rent. And um, yeah, so I mean, that's white privilege for you. Not a lot of people know that, but that's that's actually how it is to be white. A white man. You have to be a man, white man in this country. So. <laughs> yeah. So I'm surprised that you don't have you don't have that. Anyway, every day is Christmas for you at your uh, retail, your place of business, Mike. You were saying? Yeah, it is. It is. It's it's insane. Uh the sales are crazy, so the lines are crazy. Um, I had to stay like 18, 20 minutes later after I was supposed to leave last night. Um, the hours are good though, because I I'm 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 off school, so I'm, I'm getting over. I mean, for this job, the hours are good. I mean, they're better than they were because I get like twenty eight, thirty something hours. So. That's a good thing, but I, I it's it, you know I, I I'm glad though. I mean, I'd rather be working during my time off, at waiting for my next uh, semester, than to just be sitting on my ass, Mike, not making any money. Mike, would you say that you're disgruntled at your job now? No, that you might. I'm, not. Uh... I'm, I'm disgruntled with you know the few customers that that arrive that are particularly lame but other than that 
No, I'm not really disgruntled with my job. Would you say that you're one thing away from just snapping completely at your job and losing? Not even remotely close to that. Okay. All right. All right. So this is a podcast about uncovering unexplained mysteries. And this week we have a a very special Patreon exclusive uh, request episode. These uh, both of these segments were requested by our patron Morgan from Canada, the famous or infamous, depending on which you would choose to believe Morgan, who has been with us since day one, since the inception of the podcast. Um, she requested both of these cases. One of the cases, uh, the case of Jesse James Hollywood, I cannot believe we haven't talked about this case yet. For many yeah, reasons. I can't either. I think it's one of those that we had set aside and then we just forgot about it. And that happens. Yeah. I mean, A, I can't believe we talked about it because there was a movie made about called Alpha Dog. Yeah. Uh, that I actually you saw. You can't believe we didn't talk about it. That's That's what you meant to say, right? Yes, probably. Whatever whatever the right <laughs> thing is that was supposed to be said, that's what I was... Have you say. seen Alpha Dog? I have. I, I did actually see it. I thought it was pretty good. Is that someone Justin Timberlake, right? Yeah. That's the one... I guess that's he the, plays Jesse James Hollywood? Um, God, I don't remember. I think so. But yeah, that was the one that... Uh, that <laughs> okay, so... This uh, another reason why I can't believe we haven't talked about this is because this was on the Unsolved Mysteries Ultimate Collection box set. It was in the Bizarre yep. Murders, and you know they they cherry picked very good segments typically for those box for the box set. And this this is yet another like great case. So that's another reason I'm surprised we haven't talked about this yet. But the whole uh, Justin Timberlake Alpha Dog thing. I'm getting back to that. Um, this was when I knew. Like, when, when the new revamped Unsolved Mysteries came out with Dennis Farina, like, I knew I didn't like it straight off the bat. The first case they ever aired when the new show premiered was uh, the, the uh, Kurt Cobain suicide. So you, you knew that they were trying to get, you know, ratings off of a known name and all that. But then, you know, as I watched the show, I noticed the shitty extra graphics, the uninspired uh, narration by Farina. And then they get to this uh, segment Jesse James Hollywood, and they have a scene where uh, Ben, um, the old, the shitty older brother of the kid who got kidnapped, is like walking into his bar mitzvah. It's some home video thing, and Dennis Farina's narrating over the scene, and he goes, um, "This case was also made into a movie, Alpha Dog, starring Justin Timberlake." And they like scrolled that information across the bottom of the screen <laughs> and it was at that point that i realized that that this show is just it, it's just a it was a sad pathetic shell of what it i mean i already knew it was anyway but after mentioning that detail it's like why did we need to know that why did we yeah. need to know that this 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 tragic murder uh was made into a movie with fucking ramen noodle head ass justin timberlake like it's like ooh, they mentioned somebody uh culturally relevant right now i'm more interested in this show like oh look they're talking about kurt cobain from the popular band nirvana i like this show more it was trying so hard it was just such a pathetic anyway so i just remember that uh, from from um, this case as well. So I guess since we're talking about this case, we'll go ahead and um, jump right in. You want into to start it. with that one? Okay. Yeah. And uh, also, if you want to become a Patreon member, 
You can go to patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. I think it's $5 a month. You not only get the podcast early, but you can also um, give us suggestions for uh, show ideas. And I believe the next episode we're probably going to have to cover is uh, covering that movie. That, the uh, documentary, that, yeah. Yeah, so, because uh, he, he uh-huh. we got another message about that, so uh, we, we better get on that and, uh, yep. you know, whatever We will. So, um, before you tackle Jesse James Hollywood, I want to give you and the audience a little uh, brief rundown of my introduction to this case. It actually wasn't through Unsolved Mysteries. It was through America's Most Wanted. I remember vividly seeing an episode of America's Most Wanted with my dad on a Saturday night. this This is a normal thing for me and my dad. When I was growing up, because my parents were divorced, it was a thing where I'd spend the weekend with my dad. And he's a, he was a big fan of cops and America's Most Wanted, so it was a Saturday night routine. And, you know, we, we would sit in front of the TV and we'd watch Cops and America's Most Wanted on Fox. And if Mad TV was on, we'd watch that afterwards. So, um... I... Remember this case because, not necessarily because the reenactments of Marcus was wanted, because they're really not the best, but because of the whole just craziness of it and the brutality and just the, I mean, the name too. Like, it's a very memorable name. It sounds like a rapper or some other fucking thing. You know, it, it, it doesn't sound like it's real. It sounds like it's just some made up. Hollywood name for a drug dealer, but it's actually real. <laughs> so that's the other thing. But also, you know, there's this there's this Fred Durst looking motherfucker <laughs> with his backwards hat, smoking pot. Oh, dude! Every, years old. every single one of these guys are like just the the most prototypical suburban bro douches yes. you could imagine. Like these guys are all these are all like just the the preppy low life white guys that you see at a party who have bad attitudes for no apparent reason yeah like their stepdad hit them way too much and and they just are already pissed off before you even did anything to them and they they're just the kind of guys that like will point out something uh, about you just to like start shit i mean i've i've run into these kind of guys before he's like the worst kind of dudes it's like you you really only get their respect if you like beat their ass or you give them drugs or something <laughs> like these, these or or you share their love for limp biscuit yeah ex- exactly <laughs> uh which i believe that they would have been out around that time so they probably were listening to uh they probably were limping with the biscuit as it were they're probably blair and rolling oh god <laughs> and say what you want about limp biscuit but their second album significant other was pretty damn good aside from the lyrics and then after that it just kind of went downhill Yes, yeah, so I just I just stood up for Limp Biscuit. That's what my damn life has apparently come to. Well, you did a video about Limp Biscuit, uh, if I remember correctly. Mike, do you have to tell everyone that? <laughs> no, it's fine. I stand by that video. It was a damn good video. <laughs> I am okay. I have come to peace with that. But yeah, um, no, this is a this is a really good case. Like I said, I'm surprised we haven't talked about it in the past. So uh, yeah, anyway, this case uh, we're gonna start off. With and then we're gonna go into the case of uh, Joseph Prushanowski, the fraudulent rabbi. So anyway, Jesse James Hollywood. 
just north of Los Angeles in West Hills, California, Nick Markowitz celebrated his bar mitzvah with dozens of friends and loved ones. It would be the last joyous occasion before tragedy ripped the Markowitz family apart. It all started with Nick's half-brother, Ben, who was seven years older. For most of his life, Ben had been in trouble, and soon young Nick would become a victim of Ben's world of deceit and betrayal. Ben is also the prototypical douche. This guy looks like a Kid Rock wannabe. Like, he looks like Kid Rock would definitely be his favorite artist. And um, I I believe he was being interviewed from jail in this segment because he was... That's what it looked like. Yeah, because he was already in in jail. They never really clarified it. Yeah, he was already in jail for something else. And uh, so anyway... This Ben guy owed $1,200 to a man named Jesse James Hollywood, who was given his notorious name at birth. Jesse grew up in a loving middle-class home and was given every chance to succeed in life. But somewhere along the way, Jesse went off track and turned to a life of crime. Because apparently, you know, he was a good kid, you know, the stereotypical good kid. You didn't see anything coming, uh, especially not this particular turn in his life. He was a baseball star, you know, I'm hung g- out with his baseball buddies. Right. They all these like little wannabe thug white boy, you know, uh, gangsters or whatever. They all were in like Little League together <laughs> in a bucolic suburban atmosphere. Uh, the only thing I can assume that went wrong would be shitty parents. Maybe the dad was a drunk. Maybe, maybe, or maybe just shitty people, and the shitty people that I'm talking about is Jesse James Hollywood. Right, he's just a shitty person. But how does one become <laughs> shitty? It's it, when when well, you, when you mean, are given every chance to succeed. When you are well, part of it could just be uh, rebellion. Yeah. When you have everything, when you're given all these chances to succeed, it just becomes boring to you. And then it also the environment you're around, maybe it's your family, but it could also be his friends. His friends, you know, could have been into marijuana or could have hooked him up or, you know, could have been hanging around with the wrong crowd. And, you know, that just rubbed off on him. And then he got a taste of the power and the money and and got addicted to it. Yeah. And, and I feel I feel like you truly don't appreciate like your life if 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 you're if you're in an environment like that and you grow up in an environment like that you don't appreciate the fact that you live in a $200,000 house you don't appreciate the fact that for christmas you get the four wheeler that you want you know these these are things you just kind of expect like the, yeah of course i live in a nice house which i'm not blaming them because if you grew up in that's all you know but yeah you know for me I would I I went to a private school, but my parents had to really sacrifice to pay for me to go there. A lot of kids who went to that school, their parents didn't have to sacrifice, and you know, three or four thousand dollars a year tuition was uh, no skin off of their well, dick. It's kind of like it's kind of like how I felt going to Lake Oswego High School, like and a lot of my other a friends. Oswego like, High School, Lake Oswego High School. Oh yeah, Lake Oswego. You said that shit so fast, it just sounded. Well, I went to Oswego High School. <laughs> No, it's Lake Oswego, and that's an affluent neighborhood. And there were a lot of people who were attending that high school who were rich. Yeah, and and, and they parents. don't appreciate it. And I'm like looking at their house. I would go to my friends' houses, and I'd be like, "Dude, you live in a fucking palace. 
how are you how do you have any problems in your life <laughs> like and for me i grew up in a moldy ass old trailer so anytime i'd go there i'm like look at the stone tile on this floor and these bathroom fixtures and this water smells so clean and it, and you can drink yeah. it out of the faucet because you couldn't drink the water at my house because it was well water and uh Oh, I mean, my house wasn't, you know, I live with my grandmother and the house wasn't that bad, but, you know, we, we, it compared to the affluent neighborhoods that a lot of the upper crust in, in, uh, at my high school lived in. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, it was definitely not in the same level. What started off <laughs> as upper crust turned out to be upper anal crust, come to find out <laughs> with a oh lot of these God. kids. So, uh, oh my God. Anyway, getting back to the story here. That's so gross. Uh, hey, <laughs> you know, I like to provide visuals because our audience cannot see us, so I have to compensate by giving them strong uh, brain <laughs> visuals. Giving them arresting visuals. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, Jesse James was a little shit. According to Commander Bruce Coral of the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Department, by age 19, Jesse had amassed enough drug profits to buy his own house. <laughs> And he did, yeah. and they did not live in a cheap part of the country either. They lived in California. No, they even said it was an expensive house to buy an expensive house, expensive cars. He was partying with his friends on a daily basis, and he was living a rather lavish lifestyle for a young man without any legitimate means of employment. On August six, two thousand. Uh, so yeah, Limp Biscuit was definitely around at this time. Jesse allegedly decided to find Ben and collect what was owed to him. Now, Ben was the Kid Rock wannabe earlier who was brothers with uh, Nick. According to reports, Jesse and his friends cruised the West Hills area of Los Angeles looking for Ben. They could not find him, but they did locate his younger brother, Nick. According to Commander Coral, Nick Markowitz just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Witnesses say that they saw a van pull over and there was a physical confrontation. And Nick, young Nick was forced into the van. On that day, his only problem was that he had an older brother who had provoked the wrath of Jesse James Hollywood, which I thought... Now, in this uh, segment, uh, the actor they have to play Jesse James Hollywood doesn't really look that much like Jesse James Hollywood. He also doesn't really have the same sort of swagger or intensity, and he shows up and he's like wearing a polo shirt or something, <laughs> and I'm like... I don't really buy Jesse James Hollywood from the video that I've seen showing up when he's trying to find the guy who owes his money, owes him money wearing a polo shirt. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying it seems a little, little off. The dialogue here for Unsolved Mysteries being just notoriously bad for writing young people dialogue. The dialogue here, I didn't think was horrible. It felt like no. what could have been a potentially real encounter. They're like, hey, hey, what's up, Nick? Hey. And Nick's like, oh, hey, guys, what's going on? Oh, nothing. Uh, you seen your brother, Ben? Uh, no, I, I haven't seen him. No, I think you have. I think you have seen him. Uh, no, guys, what are you doing? And then they start grabbing him. He's like, hey, get off me. And then then all of a sudden the, the frame rate slows down and there's a slow motion gut punch to uh, young Nick, and that's when uh -huh. you know shit just went south. They grab Nick and they throw him into the van. So, after repeated unanswered phone calls to her son, Nick's mother, Susan Markowitz, knew something was wrong. I was making Nick breakfast and went upstairs to get him, and when he was not there, and he was not there, sorry, I'm a little drunk right now, guys. I'm a soccer mom, so I've been drinking wine and taking a lot of Prozac. I paged him, and he did not return my page. I guess I must have paged him a hundred times. I knew something was wrong. 
Now, obviously, this is uh, early, early 2000s. Uh, <laughs> paging somebody was, uh, kids, gather around. Uh, paging someone was uh, how you got a hold of someone back in the day. You wouldn't. Also, it's a 15 year old. Like, how rich are you? Right. Yeah, pagers weren't that... cheap in, in uh, the year 2000. In the no. in the year 2010, yes, maybe pagers would be cheap, but you know, in the year 2000, they were still a premium item, though maybe not as expensive as when they came out. But I mean, still, it's like, how privileged are you? Like, oh, you you contact, you get a hold of your your son by paging him. Yeah, now, like he's a doctor. You know, now how a pager <laughs> works for those of you who may not remember, it was uh, beepers, also what they were known as. They were this little. Usually black box that was pretty much the size of like a deck of cards, but a little thicker. It had a little uh, belt loop on it that you could attach to your belt or your pocket or whatever. And essentially what happened was your beeper had a phone number. Now, you could not make calls with this. You could not take calls with this. This was basically like a receiver. Its sole purpose was when you called it, you got some kind of a message sometimes if it was a fancy beeper. But you essentially uh, called it, and uh, it would pop up on a screen, usually on the top of the beeper. Uh, it was just a tiny little, like, half an inch screen, LCD, or not not even maybe LCD. It was like, it was like a calculator screen, just that crude uh, monochrome color. And a phone number would pop up, and you, at... The, back in those days, you would, rec- you would memorize people's phone numbers because there was no you know, uh, electronic address book on your phone like there is now where you don't even know anybody's fucking phone number. You just see their name and you hit call. Back in the day, you just had to memorize phone numbers. So if I want to call Mike, I'd call his beeper. His beeper would start vibrating or making a sound. He would look down at that screen. It would say 904-304-3675. I don't know why I just gave my phone number out on the (laughs) podcast, but whatever. I don't give a shit. You can give me a call, text me, I don't care. But um, that that number would pop up on Mike's beeper. He would look at the number and he would go, oh, okay, Josh just paged me. Let me find the nearest payphone and call him back. <laughs> and that's literally how it worked back in the day. Like, it sounds so archaic now, but like, that's how you would... The technology is similar to if you go to a restaurant and they give you this uh, thing that lights up and, like, makes noise when your order is ready. It's similar to that, but for calls. Yeah. Or for, you know, potential calls. It was originally created and invented for uh, doctors and other... uh, employment uh situations yeah it wasn't really intended for the use of suburban families (laughs) right it became useful for that though you know yes it did doctors who god forbid you bother them with actually trying to speak to them they're like i don't want to talk to you just tell me where you know when i need to be somewhere and i'll go in you know like don't don't give me a, a a work cell phone. I wouldn't be surprised if some of them still have people. No, they do. They absolutely do. Yeah. Those, that's still very common in the medical industry. Or so or so I I think. Uh, if you're a doctor out there, you're probably not listening to our podcast. But if you are, uh, let us know if that's still a thing or not. So anyway, uh, police believe that Nick could not return his mother's call because he'd been kidnapped and taken to a home in Santa Barbara. There, he would remain a hostage until his brother Ben paid his debt to Jesse James Hollywood. 
Ben, however, was in no rush to pay up. And then Ben is interviewed here in his prison garb, uh, essentially behind some kind of, I don't know. He just, he, he was wearing the jumpsuit. And so Ben's quote is saying, uh, he's a real little guy, very obnoxious, just the type of guy that you'd want to take his stuff. I didn't fear him. He was just a little man. I was like, $1,200? Yeah, sure. I'll get you later, buddy. <laughs> and just like the arrogance with this Ben guy, yeah. it's like, dude. He comes across as not very remorseful. Not at all. At all. Not at all remorseful. Um, it's like even though later he's like, you know, I wish you know things had been different. You know, it's like, oh, I'll, I'll get yeah, to that. Really? I'll get to his later comment because that really, to this day, makes me want to slap the fuck out of him. So anyway, <laughs> on the following day, witnesses reported seeing Nick at the Santa Barbara home. Jesse was not at the house. Nick was no longer bound or gagged. According to Commander Coral, Nick's captors seemed to treat him like a guest. Nick was free to move around the residence. Young people did come and go from the residence, although they were told that he had been, in essence, kidnapped. He was not acting as they might expect someone that had been kidnapped to act. I personally feel that Nick had the expectation that at some point he would be freed. The reenactment, though, doesn't really uh, give you that interpretation. <laughs> Because, like, oh, he's able to move around on his own accord, and he gets out of the pool, but he still looks like he's scared and is like, I don't want to be here. <laughs> so it wasn't, so they're trying to say that, oh, he's acting, not acting as they might expect someone that had been kidnapped, but in the reenactment, he acts like someone who had been kidnapped. <laughs> well, in the movie Alpha Dogs, uh, in the scene where he was actually kidnapped and... Um, at at the house, they had a whole scene where he'd be in the pool and uh, he actually started hitting on one of the girls there and she was like flirting back and they ended up like making out. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it was almost like a party. Maybe that's actually what happened, but Unsolved Mysteries is like, whoa, well, they we did, can't show they underage well, they didn't, necking. I, I don't think that was it. I think it was more of we don't have time to... Yeah. include all of that let let's okay. just let's just gloss over the fact although you normally don't see a lot of that kind of stuff no not really i think in the later the seasons show. though you maybe you would see more of that but you definitely didn't see it in the early seasons it's there was it was strictly murder no no uh none of this kissing bullshit you know let's just talk <laughs> let's talk about the bloody aftermath not the beforehand but no, in the movie, uh, uh, they even ha uh, had him like watching. He was actually in the movie. He was actually watching Austin Powers, the scene where um, huh. uh, Austin Powers was trying to like back the cart out of that little that thing, hallway. That scene kills me. Yeah, it is so hilarious. Yeah, and it, it doesn't make any sense because there's no fucking way they would have been able to fit that in there yeah. <laughs> without disassembling the thing and reassembling it in the <laughs> tight hallway. Yeah. So, but it, it's just so absurd that it just cracks me up. Yeah, so like in the movie, uh, Alpha Dogs, uh, they really they really kind of drove home the, you know... I think it's Alpha Dog, right? Not well, not War Dogs or, you know, I said Al Alpha Dog. I said Alpha Dogs. Al Is it Alpha Dog? Yeah. Okay, whatever. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry, <laughs> sorry to get my plural and singular mixed That's the sequel that doesn't exist. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, anyway... Um, in the ensuing days, there was no reported effort by Jesse James Hollywood to exchange Nick for the money Ben Markowitz owed him. According to witnesses, Jesse realized the situation was quickly spiraling out of control. He telephoned his lawyer for advice. 
Commander Coral believed that Jesse came to a disturbing realization. If Nick was released and told authorities that the about the spontaneous kidnapping, Jesse could spend the rest of his life behind bars. We believe that as a result of that conversation, Jesse came to the conclusion that he would be in a better situation to kill Nick as opposed to trying to return him. So in this reenactment, speaking of the conversation, they show the conversation over the phone. You don't really hear that much dialogue. It's just a lot of it's just motion. Uh, but I found it particularly noteworthy because there's a giant TV in the back and it is clearly playing an infomercial of some kind. Uh, maybe with Billy Mays when he had his long hair or something of that uh, type. And it's like some kind of cooking thing. And, and, and I thought it was funny because it was like clearly season 11 of Unsolved Mysteries and Lifetime was like, well, we can't really have any like licensed uh, properties in the background. So we're just going to have this infomercial. But it just made me think of like, what if Jesse James Hollywood, this notorious drug dealer, you know, one of his favorite pastimes was to watch infomercials. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love this guy. He yells a lot. Reminds me of my stepdad. Uh, so, yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. But yeah, in the movie, actually, they, the, the scene where Jesse calls his lawyer, that's actually like a pretty good scene because it's very dramatic. And the lawyer's like, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. You know, th this is kidnapping and this is a first degree uh, felony. And, you know, you could you could go to jail for blah, 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 blah. Why don't lawyers just call these fuckers in? I don't understand the the lawyer agreement with criminals. It's like... The guy admitted he kidnapped somebody. Yes, it's like a confidential. I know because any other thing, if you're if, if you're if you're a therapist and you're like, yeah, man, I've just been really depressed lately. Oh, why? Oh, I kidnapped this guy and he's at my house and I just don't know if I should kill him or return him. And the therapist <laughs> is gonna fucking call the nine one one toot sweet. And I don't use that phrase very much, but yeah, fuck it, uh, pull it out for fun. Call it right away, immediately. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I guess with a lawyer, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was like, hey, hypothetically, if I kidnap someone, <laughs> you know, well, that would raise red flags anyway. Yeah. Like nobody talks about a hypothetical kidnap scenario unless they actually kidnap somebody. <laughs> so authorities theorize that Jesse then contacted twenty-year-old, twenty-one-year-old Ryan Hoyt, the douche, uh. the douchebag Fred Durst wannabe, yes. uh, who they show uh, footage of him, yes. like home video footage. Yeah, and this guy, oh, such a mega douche. Uh, <laughs> but what was funny was you actually I'll get your money. I'll get your, where's my money? I'll get your money, man. You actually saw like real young person dialogue on Unsolved Mysteries for the first time because this was actually a home video of the guy. Yeah. And uh, Jesse James is like, what's going to be in my mailbox tomorrow, Ryan? No, Hoyt, I'm serious. What's going to be there? And he's like, $500. At least $500. Now stop fucking recording me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, see guys, this is how this is how kids really talk. All the... Uh, all the uh, whole dialogue on the show. I where, don't think you actually heard the F word, but oh, you, they you they bleeped it out, but you could yeah. hear that's what he was saying. All the dialogue on Unsolved Mysteries, where it's like you're a piece of garbage. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I understand you got to get around the censors, but you know who who, who you fooling? Like, 
I wonder how many grandmas watch that going, oh, young people are so violent today using such profanities like garbage and trash, when, <laughs> when really it was much worse. But anyway, um, this was an acquaintance who owed Jesse James money for drugs. So Jesse allegedly offered Ryan a way to pay off his debt. On August 8th, police believed that Ryan Hoyt and two friends led Nick Markowitz to Lizard's Mouth, a remote area in the Los Padres National Forest, and killed him. Four days later, the body of Nick was discovered. Now, actually, again, in the movie, um, it was pretty... Uh, it was pretty, it was pretty a, a rough scene because they established this long period of time with Nick being trapped at this house where he's having fun. He's even drinking beer. He's partying. And then, you know, all of a sudden, these three guys, you know, grab him like, hey, we're going to go on a walk, Nick. He's like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, cool, guys. You know, awesome, whatever. And he's like walking through the woods and Nick's starting to see that this this is going, uh, this is looking bad. And Nick's like, hey, just to let you guys know, you know, I'm totally not going to tell anyone. You know, I had a great time and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, yeah, yeah, sure, Nick, whatever. And they're like, uh, hey, uh, Nick, uh, you know, uh, look, look straight ahead. And then as soon as he did, they like, they were using like semi-automatic guns in the scene. They're like, put it, 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 like, you know, got, like filled them full of lead. And Dang. he fell into like this grave that they had already dug. Well, I mean, they used a semi-automatic weapon in in, in the reenactment too. Like one of them had a what is it, a an Uzi or something or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but um, anyway, I'm not a gun guy either. Yeah, I'm a gun I expert. I'm not AK-47. <laughs> I mean, what if it was a gun off of Goldeneye 007 for the Nintendo 64? I know what it is. Was it a <laughs> was it a Clob? Was it a PP7? <laughs> Uh, so within days, police arrested Ryan Hoyt and three accomplices for the crime. Uh, police had been tipped off by a teenager who had seen Nick and his captors at the home in Santa Barbara. However, Jesse James Hollywood was nowhere to be found. Police believe, uh, publicity about the murder caused Hollywood to flee. At their trial, each of the four suspects claimed they had acted out of fear of Jesse James Hollywood. However, that did not stop the jury from convicting each of them with crimes ranging from aggravated kidnapping to murder. Which they uh, initially pleaded not guilty to. Yeah, well, I'm sure they were thinking to this uh, themselves like, oh, we were just, you know, we were just a hapless patsy in this, in this crime. So, update, Jesse James Hollywood has been captured. Five years after he fled the area, FBI agents tracked him down to a small coastal village near, near Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. He and his pregnant girlfriend were sitting at an outdoor cafe when Brazilian police swooped in and grabbed him. Hollywood was turned over to U.S. authorities and flown back to California. He went on trial for murder and was found guilty. Mm -hmm. Jesse James in his mugshot, he looks. He reminds me of Mark McGrath. You know the yeah. The <laughs> he evolved from uh, from Fred Durst to uh, middle aged Mark McGrath or young young middle aged <laughs> Mark McGrath. That's the logical white boy suburban evolution. So um, there's a little bit more detail from the Wikia in March of 2005. After five years on the run. Hollywood was captured in the Brazilian resort community of Sacoema, 62 miles from Rio de, 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 de ah, Rio de Janeiro. He was living with his pregnant girlfriend using the alias Michael Costa Garou. Apparently, he was trying to pawn off himself being Canadian. 
and reportedly was teaching English. <laughs> I'm sorry. Isn't that hilarious? Mike got a Mike got a little tickle out of that. No, I th- I think that's hilarious because you watch this guy, you watch him talk. Do you really think that this guy is going to be the right guy to teach kids English in Brazil? Well, no, but a lot of times when it comes to uh, people teaching English abroad, they really your main qualification is just being a native English speaker. Okay, and that'll. I, I, I also thought it was funny because you're just imagining this this hardcore, edgy, uh, drug dealer. As an English teacher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to learn the metric system. We're going to learn grams. We're going to learn, you know, <laughs> what is a dime bag? What is the the measurement of that? What about a nickel bag? Uh, you know, if I had an ounce of pure China white, how much would that fetch in street value? Let's figure out, you know, like. <laughs> How to shank someone if they stiff you on a drug uh, deal gone wrong? You know, yeah. It, it, I, the the co- the comedy of that is the irony and comedy of that is not yeah. lost on me. So in July 2009, Hollywood co- was convicted of the Markowitz murder. He was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole when the jury deadlocked during sentencing. Hollywood's associate Ryan Hoyt was convict- convicted of first degree murder and is currently on death row. In, at San Quentin State Prison in California. Jesse Rugg was paroled in 2013 after serving 13 years of his life sentence at Pleasant Valley State Prison. I, I Pleasant, find that. Pleasant I, Valley? I, yeah, I know it's an actual name of a place, but like, like the, the prison had, is Pleasant Valley. It's not very pleasant for anyone who goes to Pleasant Valley <laughs> Prison. Uh, for aggravated kidnapping with special circumstances, Graham Presley was released from the California Youth Authority facility in 2007 after serving five years for second-degree murder. William Skidmore, what a name, was released after serving nine years in prison for kidnapping and robbery. This will be William Skidmark. So anyway, uh, yeah, I don't really have much else to say about Jesse James Hollywood, the case, except... I can see why it's a case that uh, grabbed the attention of a lot of people. Not only the guy's notorious name, but, you know, a 19-year-old who is dealing drugs in a suburban neighborhood. And, you know, a white boy. You know, he's a white white boy, and then another murder, and then they murder another 15-year-old white boy, and... Yeah. This is gonna sound, um... I don't know. This is gonna sound like Kind of weird coming from me, probably, but uh, giving Ryan Hoyt uh, the death penalty seems a little uh, harsh. I mean, okay, I know he, I know he killed someone, but I, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's harsh at all. Like he agreed to do it. Like he, he literally. Decided that twelve hundred dollars, like the like the death penalty, is usually saved for people who like rape and kill like a whole family. Not necessarily. There are there are other instances where people get the death penalty for you know stuff like what Ryan Hoyt did, and I mean 
Honestly, he showed zero remorse about anything. Right. Like he, he, he agreed to do it. And he should spend life in prison, but I don't know about the death. He was a stupid kid who was afraid of this Jesse James Hollywood guy. I mean, does that account for anything? I mean, even if he was afraid, I mean, he still could have, like, went to the authorities or something. Like, got oh, police dude, protection. You, everyone knows when you're in that lifestyle, if you snitch, you are fucked. Not if you get police protection. Are you going to witness protection? Yeah, that's never guaranteed, though, and it's usually not granted because it's expensive. Oh, yeah, I know. So, I don't know. But I this just, guy like, was sh- notorious at this point, so... Shouldn't have that... I'm pretty sure the suburban police department in that area would have liked to have had any shot that they had to nab Jesse James Hollywood. I don't know. I just feel like the death penalty was a little, like, much for... Uh, you know, the fact that he was a... St- I'm sure the family was happy. You know, uh, Nick Markowitz's family was happy he got the death penalty. Um, and then you got stupid Ben at the end, the older brother who started yeah. this whole thing, and he's being interviewed, and he's like, I mean, of course I feel bad, you know? I mean, uh, I have a lot of sleepless nights, you know? But uh, I just, you know, I, can't, I just get... My head just gets all mixed up trying to think about it. And it's like, God, could you be any dumber? And, like... Uh, it seems like well it, inauthentic like nothing that that whole interview comes across as inauthentic like he's just saying what people want to hear i feel like he just was more bummed out that he got caught than anything else yeah. like yeah, that he, he he the party was over yeah yeah exactly yeah. like that that was more upsetting to him than his uh younger brother actually you know being killed as a direct result of of him I mean, yep. Jesus, most people would be in, inconsolable about that kind of thing, you know? But he just didn't really seem all that bothered by it. So so, so the, the moral of the story is that there is white trash everywhere in the country, not just in the yep. South. It's even in uh, old liberal bastion uh, of the world, uh, California. In California. So, yeah, so a uh, Jesse James Hollywood case. Speaking of criminals, um, that transitions us to the next case, the case of Joseph Prusinowski. Quite a different criminal. Uh, almost yes. the polar fucking opposite criminal. One that, on one hand, you can kind of look at what he did as good, but on the other hand, no, because it's illegal. <laughs> right. So, uh, you were about to meet a devout Hasidic Jew and father of twelve. Incredibly, he's also the mastermind of one of the greatest cons in recent history. His name is Joseph Prusinowski, and by all accounts, he abided by the religious laws of the Hasidic Jews, except when it came to the Eighth Commandment, Thou shalt not steal. By adhering to strict religious values, the Hasidim have acquired a reputation a reputation for honesty and rock-solid integrity. It was the perfect camouflage for Joseph Prusinowski. Joseph, his wife, and their children lived in a Hasidic community near Montreal. Prusinowski supposedly ran an export-slash-import business from the basement of his modest home, but the reality was quite different. He was also the brains behind a brilliant scam, one that would net him close to $200 million. Dollars. 
Like that is insane. <laughs> so the first step of his swindle was to open his own bank. An unsuspecting clerical assistant named Alan Feingold. I mean, can you really? I know it's his real name, but could it sounds like a stereotype? It sounds <laughs> like a, a, a fictional Jew that was written by for a movie. You know, it, it just sounds so fake. And fine gold, <laughs> but nope, it's 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 real, it's real. So, uh, and honestly, the actions of Prusinowski tie right into sadly a lot of people's stereotypes of of Jews, you know, where they're all about money and blah blah blah, right. you know. So, Alan Feingold helped with the arrangements. The Caribbean island of Anguilla is notorious for having some of the most lenient banking standards in the world. I wonder if they still are as lenient as they were back then, after this case. I would hope they wouldn't be. What's up with all the islands having uh, these lenient banking standards? I don't, I mean, it's almost like they're like, well, okay, we're an island, and y you know some uh, rich businessmen are going to be coming at us wanting to uh, put their money here, so uh, it's kind of kind of what islands do they launder money and and wash money and sweden sweden seems to be really well known for it's, uh, switzerland i believe switzerland okay yeah swiss bank account yeah yes switzerland so prusinowski supplied two names to be the owners or principals of his newly created bank what alan feingold didn't know was that prusinowski had made up the names the application form required a witness so i witnessed the signatures which I found out afterwards, wasn't exactly a legally accepted procedure. Chartering an actual bank was a measure of Prusinowski's sophistication. He could now issue official-looking bank cashier's checks, which were much more convincing than simple personal checks. The second step of his plan was to write out checks in amounts of, of up to $1 million, which the bank in Anguilla guaranteed. He would then deposit the checks and business accounts, he had set up all over the world. Prusinowski would then contact the bank in person or by phone and using his incredible talents of persuasion, convince the bankers to advance him large amounts of cash, even though the checks had not yet cleared. So this segment has actually some good acting in it. I think the actor who plays Prusinowski did a good job. Uh, he definitely is portraying it as what a lot of people would assume this character would behave or act like. He's very Jewy. Yeah, I'm not gonna, you know, <laughs> I'm not gonna touch that. Well, I mean, but, I mean uh, I'm not. I mean, as a uh, you know, he's very much Jewish. You know, I mean, he's yeah. a Hasidic Jew. He's got the 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 Jew curls and the Jew hat and the uh, the Jew garb. It's, it sounded like Woody Allen. Yeah, yeah. very much. He's, he's at the bank, and, in, and he's like, and I, I need uh, $700, you know, and uh, the I, I don't understand why you're not doing this. And then the, the bank guy's like, you know, Mr. Prusinowski, we can't, uh, you know, we need advance notice and blah, blah, blah. He's like, I hear you're telling me this, but I need the money. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's over the top, but Hasidic Jews are over the top. I mean, that's just they're that's culturally they're very specific. It's like, I mean, they even showed a scene of them like 
you know, I don't know if it was actual an actual Hasidic Jew uh religious uh meeting but it could have been actors or whatever but oh what, like when they, they were should... in the temple and they <laughs> yeah. they all looked very exact yeah it, it almost yeah. looked like a like a poorly costumed kind of thing yeah cuz they they have like the the cloths over their head and they're doing the whole nagila 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 yeah um I mean, you know, it's 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 like uh, an Amish person. They are very, they have very exaggerated looks. They have the crazy Amish yeah. facial hair and the. We're not. Well, I'm not trying to be. You know. I don't are know. you Are you trying to say that you don't hate the Jews, Mike? No, I. <laughs> yeah, that that's. Kind of, I, I definitely don't hate the Jews. I'm just. I'm just. I'm trying not to be offensive but it's just one of those things where it's the word it's, jew it, it, has become almost like uh, uh an insult oddly enough yeah. and that's why i think we feel so weird saying stuff like he was very jewy or he looked very it, because it's like that's that's almost become like an that's it, uh, oddly enough it's almost like uh calling someone like a mexican is become like uh almost like a a pejorative like uh -huh. even though it's a nationality like some people view it as like uh, a way to insult or someone arab yeah to a certain degree arab yeah uh, a oh arab you're one of those arabs yeah. saying it like that is kind of a pejorative same with like jew i mean even saying it right now i feel i uh, feel like the only time i've heard i think a big part of that isn't the nazis that's <laughs> no, not the nazis it's just uh well i mean in terms of the whole like why why when we say the word Jew, or we we mention anything pot potentially derogatory about a Jew, you know, it goes back to Nazi Germany and their whole persecution of the Jewish people. So we feel that guilt, even though you and I weren't involved with that at all, in any capacity. It's just such a atrocity in in uh history that it's just it's just something that's it, it's a it feels taboo right it just feels like it's a taboo i think subject. i think it comes from the stereotype that jewish people are tight with money and so i mean a lot of my friends and uh, I mean, I've I've been guilty of saying it in the past, you know, like, oh, you're such a Jew, or don't be, you know, Jew yeah, that Jewy too. or whatever. It, it, that that's that's a good that's a good. I think point. I think it comes from the and you know, well, media helped perpetuate that. Well, so. However, the origin of that being a thing, um, it, it's one of those it's one of those situations where like, since we as Americans were not the people who were responsible for the Holocaust, I think uh, just in your average day-to-day -day conversation with your friends, when you're not trying to be politically correct, if you say something like, oh, you're such a Jew, it doesn't really make us feel, it doesn't have the weight as if you were to say that maybe in Germany, where it's like, Ooh, well, yeah. okay. I think it's been normalized. Yeah, it has been to a certain extent. And, you know, it's it's like, obviously, in my heart, I I have no problem with Jews. I don't think I've ever even met a Jewish person, but I have no problem with Jewish people. I don't even understand why they're so hated, quite frankly. I don't... I don't yeah, I don't, I don't get that I don't either. I mean, part it. of it's probably the stereotype. I don't that, get it. You know, that they're tight with money or whatever. 
Um, but then there's the I other stereotype. To try to I, I, I tried to toe the line. You know, I didn't want to make it appear as if I'm like, oh, you know. Well, I like to break silly, it open. Funny Jews. I like to break it um, open and, uh, and and explore. But to be honest, I mean, look at something like uh, uh, Amish Paradise. I know it's an Amish thing, but like the way that he's dressed is similar to kind of, you know, the, the kind of, and you did bring up a good point about the Amish. It's this, it's, it's so different from the norms in society, you know, the, the look of the Amish or the look of the Hasidic Jews, that it's just something that to us on the outside, it comes across as different and, and, and a little bit, absurd compared to the the normal stuff that we see in society it's easy to mock people who are outside of the norm by a an extreme degree it's easy to mock yeah it's easy and, to... but it's 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 not doesn't mean it's it's okay no. or, or it's something that you know should be acceptable but it's just something that just slips out sometimes and, and i think a large part of it is you know we're only human and when you have all this exposure to all of these sort of uh, takes of Hasidic Jews in particular in media that are comedic takes, then it's not that far-fetched that you would associate the Hasidic Jew appearance and all of that to the comedy, you know, vision well, or version of not that. to mention some of our the greatest comedians and writers have been jewish and i mean even yeah. mel brooks you know has stated that you know jews have a long history of of comedy in their in their history you know for whatever reason yeah. uh that's that's always been uh you know the 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 quirky Jewish uncle at the at the uh, bar mitzvah who always has you know the witty thing to say or the dry sense of humor thing to say or whatever you know these kind of archetypes that we've seen and you know these movies and um yeah so I mean it's it's a uh, rich tapestry I feel like I'm I'm doing like a fucking like woke TED talk thing on like some kumbaya moment right now <laughs> I'm, I'm not I, am I trying to backpedal because I feel bad about saying something earlier I don't know I don't know what's going on right now maybe I'm exploring um the reason why I think I think it's part of part of it is a little bit of backpedaling but that's that's to be expected. Look, the thing about it is is like we're talking about Hasidic Jew here. Their culture is very different from the norm and that yes. just kind of has to be expounded upon as two nor uh quote unquote normal average Americans like me and Mike who are not exposed to that culture. So it 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 is a big part of the story. That's why it, it it's worth discussing, I guess. Yeah, I think so too, and I and I think it's a it's a helpful discussion. It's one of those things where you kind of take a step back and you look at things, and, you, and you're just trying to piece together uh, the uh, more appropriate or the best way to kind of look at this kind of thing or, or or to approach it, and also to realize that you know your initial first impression it sometimes. It can be problematic, but at the same time, it's not something that you should feel too bad for because it isn't entirely just you and your personal uh, views and your personal take on things that is what is causing that uh, vision to appear. A lot of it has to do with what you're exposed to in society and the media and other things around you with this particular topic and in, in 
in this instance, the the Hasidic Jews. Right. So, um, anyway. Yeah, tangent, tangent time. Tangent over. So, um, reporter uh, Michael Gillard covered Prushanowski's cons for several news media outlets, and he's quoted here. He says, he's very clever. He's a very clever, very persuasive man, a man who trades on his being, uh, on his uh, being a very religious person when he deals with banks. Very good at persuading them to cash his checks written on funny banks in faraway places with strange-sounding names. Eventually, the checks all bounced, or most of them bounced. But by the time the bouncing stopped, the bank was a million dollars short. Meanwhile, Alan Feingold found himself taking calls from angry bankers demanding their money. Ultimately, a Japanese company filed a lawsuit against both Prushanowski and Alan Feingold. Being sued for a million dollars was something relatively shocking to me, and I didn't understand what was going on here, being cited as a co-defendant. Also, he was a very naive young man. He was 21 years old when he was hired by Prushanowski, so he wasn't necessarily the most experienced when it comes to dealing with business or noticing illegal activity, which is probably on purpose. Prushanowski knew that. So, uh, Alan's faith was completely shattered in March of 1987 when agents of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police stormed Joseph's office. According to Corporal Norman Dennis of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, Feingold was cleared of any involvement. Alan Feingold was hired by Prushanowski when he was 21 years old and was very naive. He didn't know very much about the business world, so he could not even contemplate the possibility that Prushanowski had the criminal mind whenever he was asked to do things for him. Canadian authorities also raided Prushanowski's home, but came up empty-handed. The basement office had been cleared out, and Prushanowski had fled, taking his wife and children with him. From his Canadian operations, Prushanowski left a trail of rip-offs totaling more than $2 million. I love how Robert Stack keeps using rip-offs. Yeah. Because you don't normally hear rip-offs used in this context as much anymore. So according to Michael Gillard... It was just a hint of what was still to come. After Joseph Prushanowski left Montreal, he disappears off the face of the earth. No one seems to ever see him or hear from him again. But what what then happens is all of a sudden, Joseph Weiss starts to appear. It didn't take long to figure out that Joseph Weiss and Joseph Prushanowski were the same person. But now his swindles are becoming absurdly huge. And this is absurd. Between 1990 and 1992, financial institutions across Europe lost more than $100 million. Good lord. In the United States, they lost $30 million, and in Australia, more than $35 million. The astounding total worldwide exceeded $190 million. Yeesh. That's insane, dude. That's a lot of money. And they show they show this graphic, which is like of the of the globe of the Earth. Uh-huh. It's like a three D uh, CGI graphic Re- rendered in, on Windows ninety five. <laughs> and then they have like different spots that show the money, and it, it just does a great job at like really solidifying how absurd and how crazy this fraud was by this. This uh, Hasidic Jew, this this uh, seems like a harmless 
man who's you know a man of of god you would think like oh you know you're not you wouldn't look at him and think like oh he's gonna be trying to steal 190 million dollars from various different banks across the world so finally this master con man came up with one more brilliant plan one that keeps him safely beyond the reach of the law according to reporter michael gillard Prusinowski negotiated to return a portion of the stolen money. He knows that banks don't like to go to the police. They don't like to prosecute people. What they want is their money back. So they will settle, and what that, of course, does is, by and large, it removes the lender from being a complainant to create a criminal prosecution problem from Prusinowski in that particular country, and he's used that tactic very successfully all over the world. However, a few banks were not willing to settle and arrest warrants were issued for the con man. Now, this particular, uh, for some reason, this uh, overview of this case does not mention the theory that Prusinowski was using this money and, and these funds to support Hasidic Jew communities. Oh, really? As a Robin Hood figure. Yeah, this this particular one doesn't mention that, so I wanted to bring that up. So, yeah, because they were saying in the uh, segment, one of the investigators was saying that Prushinowski, from what they were able to gather, never benefited financially from any of this. It was uh, ostensibly used and fi- funneled back into the Hasidic Jew community, which yeah. is, you know, it's like kind of one of those things where it's like he's stealing from banks the the rich essentially and and giving to uh his community you know which are not rich i wouldn't say they're poor but they're definitely not yeah. wealthy so it's almost i mean it's illegal but i guess maybe it's uh, one of those i don't know i don't want to say gray area because it's really not a gray area it's pretty black and white that it's wrong but it's it's almost like i don't know it's one of those like noble kind of things maybe 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 but it's also seems a little selfish Cause, I, mean, I think a lot of it is probably a way for Joseph Prusinowski to become this uh, integral figure in his community. And maybe he wasn't able to be as integral uh, as uh, deeply indebted, you know, deeply embedded into his community as he would have liked. Uh, he doesn't get the notoriety that he would have personally liked before he started doing this. So once he did this, you know, oh, he's got the money, he's got the ability to help out the community, people ask him for help, you know, he gets that sort I don't, of... I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, I didn't really get that vibe, but, I mean, you could be right. Well, I mean, he didn't get that vibe in the reenactment, but, I mean, it's just one of those things where, like, that could have been one of the reasons why he did this. And there, I think one of the investigators kind of mentions that briefly. That that might have been a little bit of the one of the reasons why he uh, did this because he he really got off on the idea of being this Robin Hood figure for for the uh, uh, community. Um, it, it's what it, it, it I, when you say gray area, I think that's actually a good way to put it because it is this kind of a gray area where you're like, is it wrong? Is it bad? Is it wrong? Like yeah, but. Th- He's not really using it for his own personal means. And banks are corrupt for the most part. Yeah, and he's helping people and helping his community with the money. So, 
Should he have done it? No, because it is illegal and you're breaking a commandment. Because <laughs> you are still stealing money. But I, I'd wonder, like, the, I wonder about the conversation between, like, God and, uh, you know, Prusinowski. <laughs> He's trying to justify, look, I was, I was helping the community. He's like, well, it's, it's wrong. You stole from these banks. You broke the commandment. Maybe his thought is, well, that's a Gentile bank and... You know, maybe it's not that's not of our people. Mm. So, Mm. you know, I don't know. I don't know about that. But uh, just just that exchange between Prusinowski and God, you know, if he goes up to heaven and was like, well, you broke the law and uh, you broke the commandment of thou shall not steal. So I'm sorry. (laughs) My hands are kind of t- my hands hell. are kind of tired on this one, but thank you for the new rec center for all the other Jewish kids that you were able to get. Those latkes were fantastic, by the way. Thank you. But you're still going. You're to still hell. going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we've probably got a lot of people offended there. But you know, this is the kind of thing where he broke the commandment. I mean, isn't that whole thing? It's like, but. Jesus does forgive. God does forgive. So maybe we forgave him for that and let him. It's not like he murdered anyone, you know. Which to me, he didn't murder anyone. Is like a lot worse in my in my moral compass. I was just messing around. It was just playing playing around with the whole situation. How dare you? Um, This isn't. You're not supposed to have fun (laughs) on this podcast. It's supposed to be a very clinical, you know, very serious podcast where we speak in very low voices, very close to the microphone, and we have dramatic music playing in the background as interstitials between us talking. That have no apparent purpose. There's just random music that plays sometimes. And then we go to our next scene. And then we talk dramatically like this. I think I think our one-star reviews would go down if we did more of that. And have like a random bell chime in the background where we go to like the next section. Anyway. Here's my thoughts on that whole thing. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I don't really, you know, I'm not going to say fuck Prusinowski because he seemed to do a lot of good things. He did get captured. He was arrested in Israel. He was convicted of seven fraud charges in a Jerusalem court and sentenced to seven years in prison. But in the United States, Prusinowski is still wanted by the FBI and multiple counts of bank fraud. So he's still technically a criminal. Uh, let's put it this way: on our list of uh, people we hate the most uh, on on unsolved mysteries who have perpetrated heinous crimes, he's probably at like the very bottom of the list. He's way down on that list. Uh, he's uh, there's a wasn't there another segment that had it was a Hasidic Jew community or a Jew community, and like something was like even worse. Like some guy was like corrupt. Mm, there was in the a community. there was a case in the Hasidic Jew community where someone was murdered. And, yes, that and one, yeah. uh, no one was, would talk because yeah. uh, in, in their culture, uh, you could not um, accuse anybody of anything unless you had proof. So they would try to talk to the students and no one would talk. And if it was the Sabbath, then it was even harder to get anyone to communicate. And, and yeah, that was that was a thing. But it, it, uh, I don't know if that one was ever solved. Yeah. So it's not the same as, this is not on the same level of religious crime as uh, the Vatican, you know, or, or, you know, covering up 
Oh uh, God, sexual that's like abuse. fucking apples yeah. and oranges <laughs> right there. <laughs> I mean, exactly. But um, it's still it's still a good case uh, because it's it is unique. Uh, it's one of those fraud cases where the person who's committing the fraud isn't a despicable piece of shit, you know, who's just uh, abusing uh, their you know abusing people by stealing their money. Like that's not really what it is. So it's just like it, it's it's a definitely a oddball case when it comes to fraud. Could one go as far as to say that it was a victimless crime? Potentially. Because aren't banks FDIC insured, so if this money is taken, it doesn't actually affect the people who have their money at the bank? I mean, if that's the case, then yeah, it would be a victimless crime. And don't bankers, like, make a lot of money and make a lot of the corrupt decisions that fuck people over? Well, some of them do. I'm not going to say all of them do, but there probably are... People in high a, a, finance. Yeah, there's there's a good amount of them that do. I'm surprised some people still bank with certain banks after, like, stuff came out. Like, with Wells Fargo, with that whole thing that was just talking about how all this information was leaked and all these other things. I'm like, how the, why the hell would you still stick with that bank? I feel like a fucking dope for still having my money with Bank of America. Yeah. Like God, <laughs> giant monster mega bank, and I'm I, who literally will charge you a uh, a twelve dollar a month maintenance fee in your checking account. Why are you still there then? Why don't you just leave? I got so much shit like a, attached to them, and it's just uh, it's laziness. Honest to be frank, honest, it's, yeah. it's laziness. I'm too lazy to uh, join a credit union. I know, join, I know. You know, support a local business. I know. I need to. <laughs> I feel I feel bad about that. Honestly, I really do. That I'm I'm banking with a giant monster mega bank, but it's, it's yeah. I was a part of the uh, local credit union Lacamas until they got uh, bought out by IQ, but IQ isn't too bad. IQ seems to be another fairly local credit union, but it, it actually has more options than Lacamas did. So I don't get charged as much when I use uh, ATMs or go out and use my debit card, which is good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, and they give you better interest rates, credit unions. Um, yep. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of benefits to... It's just better. Yeah, it is. I don't know what it, you're doing. I know, <laughs> it's, it's a fucking laziness thing. I, I'm, I'm ashamed, because it's like, it's like, dude, that's your money. You know, you're going to be late, you know, like, like if you're going to be dumb about that, then, you know, it's, that's not something you want to be dumb with, is your money. If you, you can be dumb about a lot of other things in life, but you do not want to be financially dumb. And I'm not. You, you also. I'm not for the most part, but that's like one area where it's like, yeah, I definitely yeah. need to join a credit union. You, you don't want to uh, give uh, high amounts of money to Spanish lotto scams or you know, yeah, psychic hotlines or psychics in general, or you know, do a bunch of blow and you know, from a dirty, uh, I don't know, do a bunch of heroin from a dirty needle and then you know, have sex with a bunch of people. I don't know. There's a bunch of dumb things that you don't want to do. <laughs> That's not really money, though. Kind of is. It kind of is money. Well, money. it was more along the lines of dumb things you don't want to do in life. Yeah. Oh, let me have a good stretch-gasm here. You also oh. don't want to... Uh, yeah. You don't want to check inside a gas can to see if there's anything in it by using a match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Although, uh... 
the the most explosive thing about ga- gas tank or gas cans like that are the fumes. Uh, the gas itself, I know from experience. So what, one time when I was when we were younger, I used to play with fire and shit all the time. Uh, we pour, we fi- oh. we filled a Folgers, the metal Folger coffee cans. We filled it up with. You were like that uh, kid in in uh, the uh, arson. Yes, case. I was a Seattle arsonist. Um, but what me and my friend would <laughs> do is no we more. would we would fill a coffee can full of gas and we'd light it, and just the top would light because the surface area, you know, that's all the uh-huh. fire could have access to was the top. But then what we would do is we would kick the can over and the gas would come pouring out of the coffee can. And then it was like this, this trail of explosive fire, Jeez, which was uh, fucking it was cool. You know, like people say like, oh, you know, you, you could you're, you're going to die. If you it's, dude, yeah, no, I mean, not really. I mean, you could. You, no, I mean, I, I'm not going to recommend kids play with fire. I like, wouldn't recommend just because you kids, just listen. because you turned out. OK, <laughs> that's, that's mean, arguable. There's a. There's a segment on Rescue 911 which is horrifying where with kids playing with fire and the kid, you know, got all kinds of third degree burns playing with if you're fire. Gonna, I I so recommend ki- Don't play with fire. I recommend that kids, kids play with fire do because it. it's very it's a lot of fun, but be smart about it. Don't don't throw like anything that could be potentially like explosive that's under a lot of pressure like a spray paint can for instance. Don't don't throw a spray paint can in a bonfire, you know. Uh, I had a friend in, well, he wasn't my friend at all, actually. I didn't like him. But uh, this guy, this kid I knew back in high school, he was at some party and there was a bonfire. And these dumb fucks threw spray paint cans in the fire. And, oh, what, 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 what do you know? One of the spray paint cans exploded hot, fiery spray paint all over the kid's face. And he had to go to the emergency room. He was out of, st- he was out of school for like a couple weeks. I definitely would not recommend uh, squirting all kinds of lighter fluid in an open flame either, because it's just not, you don't need any more fucking, <laughs> don't need to make the fire bigger to cook your burgers. Eh. Like, that's just, you know. Well, the the biggest <laughs> thing about that, if you're talking about cooking burgers, is um, uh, when, when you're talking about uh, the dangers of red meat, um, cooking a burger on a grill is actually... Uh, the the worst way to cook meat if you're trying to avoid uh, toxins because the whole grilling process, uh, cooking red meat at extreme temperatures will bring out a lot of like uh, toxic characteristics in the meat, especially if it. Uh, look at look at this guy over here being like, "Oh, you barbecue, you know, hey, burger, uh, you know, Mike, grillers." I'll have you know, you know, I read an article about this when I was uh, bored DJing one night. So I am a professional on this matter. <laughs> I'll have you know, I read an article on the internet for about fifteen minutes. So I am I'm educated. Uh, but yeah, especially if it's charred, like if the burger has any like pieces of charring on it, that is uh, particularly um, bad for you. I, I don't know if I'll go as far as to say it's toxic, but it, it uh, I don't know, do research on it. It's actually best if you're going to eat red meat. Red meat is actually really um, nutritious for you, but the best way to cook it typically is like in stews or broths, like a very low heat type of situation. That's the safest way. Wimp. I know it doesn't taste. No, I, I know grilling it tastes uh, fucking amazing. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, but I'm just, I'm just the uh, messenger here. You know, I'm not saying, you know, whatever. Um, You're not trying to talk down. To no, no, not at all. I'm just like, saying you know, that your grillers are wrong. No, I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm saying it's delicious, <laughs> but 
It is uh, the most toxic way of cooking uh, red meat, you know, is is over an open flame uh, in a grill situation with charcoal. Stop being toxic. Stop grilling your burgers at the at the summer barbecue with your family. Yeah, I'm basically <laughs> trying to shit on Christmas right now in in America, and, and I'm kicking the apple pie off the table. I'm an awful individual. Oh man! All right, I think that's the end of this podcast. It feels feels like I'm tired of talking. Yeah, I don't have much else to say either, except uh, what Prusinowski did was wrong. Uh when you look at it from a legal standpoint and from a lot of other standpoints and a moral moral standpoint as well. But, you know, if you're going to do a wrong thing or you're going to do a bad thing, like, if you do some good with it or a lot of good with it, it kind of, in some ways, evens out, especially if this is, you know, an instance where this really was a victimless crime and it's one of those things where it's like, Oh, it's the equivalent of a white-collar crime, but instead of just running away with the money and screwing people over, he's at least doing some good with it. If that's actually the case. Yeah. I mean, who knows? So anyway, if you want to join uh, the Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries podcast Facebook page, you can go to facebook.com and go to the group section and type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. We have a few questions that you have to answer just to make sure you are actually joining our group for the right reasons. God, the amount of people that I see every week who fill out the questionnaire and it in the first question says, are you joining this group because you listen to the Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries podcast? And then they say no. And then thanks to... Our dutiful listener, Morgan, I added the second question. If you if you typed no to the first question, then why do you want to join this group? And the fucking answers I get, man. I just love mysteries. I uh, got here by mistake. I blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, anyway. No, I love mysteries person might be okay. but I Yeah, mean, but I mean, know. I don't know. if It's like that. this is a fan group for our specific podcast. Yeah, I know. There's so much better groups out there you. for mysteries. You yeah, know? exactly. I don't want to, yeah. uh, because God knows as soon as you add one of those people, then you start getting these spammy ass corny links that they're <laughs> posting in our group talking about the top 10 craziest Bigfoot sightings. It's like, get that shit out of here, man. Like if <laughs> I can weed out the people who don't actually listen to our podcast in, in two seconds, depending on what they post in our group <laughs> and God help you. If you join our group just to promote your thing, because you will be banned with the quickness. If that happens, I hate that. Uh, that one band, that one guy was promoting his band on our group. No, like, years well, ago. yeah, that was an outlier, <laughs> but like there'll be people who come in there trying to promote their shitty YouTube thing or their shitty podcast or whatever. It's like, motherfucker, that is so disrespectful. Like that is like, don't, that's like going into someone's, someone's bar and trying to promote your bar in their bar. Like that's like a cosmic no, no, like do not do that. Yes. I said cosmic in the universe of, of good and bad inherent truths in the world. Going into somebody else's bar and promoting your bar is right up there with murder. Or, or you know, going to somebody's pizza place and, you know, slash bar and, and promoting yeah, which your is bar, some, your pizza something place. something we just covered, actually. What what was it called? Uh, every, <laughs> somebody's, somebody's pizza? pizza? What the fuck? <laughs> God. <laughs> but anyway, join our fucking group. And if you want more me and Mike on YouTube, you can go to YouTube. For Mike, you can go to YouTube.com slash OCP Communications. Mike does uh movie reviews and other videos what was the last video you did michelle so i've been uh doing a lot of videos lately i've been digging into the robocop franchise because i'm a huge fan of robocop 
And so I've uploaded reviews of the first two films. I've uploaded reviews of the Blu-rays for the first two films. So yeah, I got a lot of content in that regard. I also uploaded a, a video where I was talking about some movie news and some recent trailers and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I did a bunch of different stuff. So I've been actually been posting more lately than I have in a while. But it's probably because I'm not trying to balance school and work at the same time right now. It's just work. So then I get the time that I, you know, I would use or the energy or the mental capacity I would be using up for school, I can use for YouTube videos. Um, balancing work and school uh, can get mentally tiresome. <laughs> so one of the last things I, I really wanted to do was record videos. Right. But uh, it's, it's, it's helped because I've just, I think my content has been better. Because I've just my brain has yeah. just been sharper. Yeah, you just got more time to focus on it and hone it. I mean, I my YouTube channel has been abysmal lately, just because I don't have time. I do I, like any time I have free time, the band, the band, you know, there's a band need. Like we're trying to make a second run of our CD hex because we're about sold out of the first run. So I have to. I want to make a well. Congratulations! Thank on you. That. Uh, it was a long process, but it it you know we were able to sell them out. Is that one of your uh, first uh, sellouts? Nope i sold I sold out of the last or uh, uh, the la uh, my first two CDs, but I only ordered fifty copies of each. Uh, for Hex, we ordered a hundred copies. So, say so, hey, step yeah, up. So in total, two hundred of our CDs are floating around in the ether somewhere. Our our listeners here, which isn't a whole lot compared no, to you know, no, but we're still a sm small potatoes. So we're we're we're, we're we've grown we grow in leaps and bounds though. So that's the important thing. Um, but yeah, it seems like you you're uh, photographed a lot. Yes. Well, the we've played you know a couple shows lately that they actually had a professional photographer there and not some shitty camera phone taking pictures of us. And uh, the band definitely looks uh, great on stage. I mean, for you know, when it comes to like uh, visually, yeah, well, I mean, you definitely have a, a look that, that stands out in a good that's way. That's what we strive to do. You know, we're, we're always, you know, we, we just recently decided to retire the Callus and Alaric characters. That was the face painted yeah. witch doctor and demon uh -huh. characters. And um, we we're just re retiring that look for now. We want to try something different, you know. We that's fine. We want to we want to be you know taken maybe a well, little. Well, also that's a lot of work for you for you. It's a lot of work beforehand. We got to get you know we we need two hours of makeup and hair preparation before every show when yeah. we do that look, and that's just that's draining. And on top of that, yeah. the main reason is we just want to be taken more seriously as a band. We feel like the whole face paint gimmick kind of like turns some people off. And so yeah. we don't want to do that. So we're just trying something new right now. We'll see what happens with that. But uh, if you want to go to my YouTube channel, it's... You weren't pressured by, you know, that band. Right? No, no, like, no, oh, no, 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 not at all. No, this has nothing... <laughs> I came to this conclusion way before that even happened, actually. <laughs> Although it might seem to them like that's why, but it's not. Anyway, if you want to check out my YouTube channel, it's youtube.com slash dancingwithghosts. And uh, the last video I did was the same video I did last week, which is uh, do uh, antidepressants make you feel like a zombie or turn you into a zombie. Uh, but I also do uh, music-related uh, videos on there, uh, video game content, reviews, fucking taste tests. I do too much on there. But uh, it's a great channel. I put a lot of work into it. And uh, I just recently hit 5,000 subscribers to my channel a few weeks ago. So that's really cool. 
that math works out to essentially a thousand subscribers per year, which I think is roughly the trajectory that you were on for a while there. It seemed like it took you about 10 years to get 10K uh, subs. It didn't take me 10, but it, it took me a bit. Yeah, I mean, the crazy thing though, and I know you've said that like this is how it works, for the first like three or four, Four years, I had like less than two thousand subscribers, and like literally yeah. in the last year, it's ballooned up like a shit ton because of a couple, yeah, a couple videos I've put out that have gotten a lot of views. I've gotten a lot of subscribers from those. So, uh-huh. yeah, I don't know how the algorithms work. I wish I did because, well, you know, there's also other uh, um, channels that are probably going to get deleted. Like the YouTube's doing a thing right now where they are uh, removing defunct channels or whatever that subscribed to you in the past or something so your numbers might fluctuate. Oh, they're doing a purge? Yeah. Oh, okay. They do that every now and then. Oh, I think that's a good thing, though. I don't want dead accounts on my on my channel that aren't going to watch. But anyway, uh, that's the podcast, folks. I hope you enjoyed it. Have a good rest of your week and don't die. Goodbye. See ya. Fuck my butt and call me Jonathan. All right, what's up, everybody? And- <laughs> Where did the Jonathan game thing come from? All right, that's going to be a take two on the intro. <laughs> this is actually a psychological evaluation, so, you know, answer answer carefully because... So, um, I did get an early Christmas present from my parents. I asked for a expensive two volume book set called uh rick baker metamorphosis and by expensive i mean 166 bucks damn for a book (laughs) it's two books they're hardcover there's a there's a rigid uh slip case with artwork on it it's a beautiful it's an absolutely gorgeous set and they're high quality uh photographs and everything um it's a really cool uh set especially if you're a fan of makeup special effects like i am um so yeah i already have it on display it's 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 really cool it's it's heavy as hell though like this thing is sturdy you could kill somebody with this thing (laughs) it's that heavy (laughs) jesus christ i I didn't even know you're much of a reader there mike Oh, I got a lot of books. Uh, uh, collecting books was the first, uh, especially uh, movie novelizations, uh, was the first uh, hobby of mine. I truly do feel I still have one of the largest collections of film novelizations and tie-ins in the world because there really, you know, there isn't a whole lot of novelization collectors out there. But at the same time, I, I just have a lot of them. I only have like twenty or so, or less than that, of titles (laughs) that I wanted to, like, add to my collection to complete it, but for right now, I'm just kind of, I'm just happy with, with where it is, because I've moved on to collecting movies, so it started with movie-related stuff, but then it went to, to, uh, just actual movies, and then I have, uh, I also have, uh, a pretty, uh, big collection of books that are, like, making of books, uh, talk about the making of certain films or multiple movies or 
makeup uh, effects and special effects because I always I always loved that as a kid and I still like that. I find it to be really fascinating the behind the scenes of uh, the making of certain film productions as well as especially makeup effects because it's a really cool lost art and uh, there are so many things that these artists are able to do that just still blows me away. Um, Stan Winston, Rick Baker, Rob Bottin. I mean, if films like John Carpenter's The Thing or Stan Winston's work in the in Predator, for instance, or or the Queen Alien and Aliens, these are all effects that to this day still hold up incredibly well and are better than any CGI effect out there. Yeah, for sure. I love that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I don't know, like. I was actually having this kind of this conversation with Zach from the Knights of Vader podcast when I was on his podcast because we were talking about this is probably gonna be B roll by the way so I'm not worried about <laughs> uh, whatever but we were uh, we were actually having this conversation I was telling him about um, what I liked about the Mandalorian and about um, the the new or uh, the sequels the Star Wars sequels is that they finally realized that people like to see real shit on the camera instead of all this wiggly bright CGI bullshit. And um, Zach was kind of, uh, I guess he kind of took the counterpoint that, um, you know, if the movie sucks, who can't, you know, what difference does it make if the visuals are on camera or CGI? Honestly, and Zach, I love you, but I kind of feel like he's he's kind of an apologist for the prequels. Um, He those I mean those are the prequels. I got to be honest, compared to the new trilogy, are masterpieces. Oh, you just made Zach so happy right now, Mike, by saying (laughs) that. (laughs) Like you really did. Um, But no, like, so my my basic thing with all the effects, it it boils down to if it if it if it looks so bad that it takes me out of the movie and my suspension of disbelief is interrupted, that's when you fucked up. And I felt yeah. like early 2000s CGI did that all the oh, time. Oh, late 90s CGI. Like, have you seen a movie called American Werewolf in Paris? Did I say early 90s? You said uh, 2000s. Yeah, early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I but see. that still works, too. I mean, late 90s CGI is pretty cringy, too. Uh, American Werewolf in Paris is some of the worst CGI werewolf monster effects I've ever seen. Not any worse than Spawn. Oh, god damn. It's worse than Spawn. Is it? Yes, because Spawn has some CGI in it with the cape. When he goes and, to hell? With, yeah, well, that's pretty awful. But, I mean, there are some CG, There is some CGI in the 90s Spawn film that actually isn't that bad, but there's a lot of it that is. But I think a lot of that is just budget. I didn't really have that much money for the CGI effects. <laughs> I spent most of it on the suits and all of that. And the suit looks fantastic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The suit yeah. looks great. yeah. yeah. And Michael J. White, I, I really like his Spawn. I just wish he was in a better movie. Another movie that really fucked me up with that CGI stuff, uh, speaking of early 2000s, was the Spider-Man movies. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you, you, the I, skeletons? I, I've probably said this a bunch of with times. With the pumpkin bomb? <laughs> uh, no, for me, it was really when, uh, so you'd have Peter Parker on top of some building, and he would look fairly real. And then as soon as he'd jump off the building and start web-slinging, he'd turn into looking real to this bright, floppy, gelatinous CGI sprite that was just jiggling through the air. And it's like, man, fuck well, off. That looks awful. <laughs> like, don't, just don't. Well, 
I mean, I, I thought it looked okay for the time. I mean, uh, it's one of those things where if you really want to see a really bad uh, design of that, uh, try to find, I think it's like an early pre, like, visualization screen test of that. That looks really bad. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that. But um, anyway, this is a podcast about uncovering unsolved mysteries that was the old name before we got sued not really well yeah speaking of speaking of cgi um did you hear about how there are certain studios that are going to be doing new movies with dead actors like james dean no i have not heard about this yes there's going to be a war film that this studio is is producing and they're going to use cgi to have james dean play a character in it what that's some Frankenstein shit right there. Well, how, so how are they going to do Does that his... open the door for uh, Robert Stack? Oh. <laughs> for CGI of Robert Stack? That's a good to, point. Uh, well, if. Come back and host Unsolved Mysteries? Oh, that'd be great. Now, if somebody who really <laughs> liked Unsolved Mysteries, who was also really wealthy, you know, because if you have deep enough pockets, you could definitely achieve that. Um, my only question is how are they going to get the voice? How are you going to, uh, because you don't, you know. Maybe they would uh, cull together uh, audio from all of the other uh, episodes and, like, create a soundboard or something. That stuff's never really sounded that good to me. I know. Uh, whenever they've done that. Or they would use a computer to find a way to recreate the voice. I don't know. That's that's what's gonna get. Or they just have, or they just have somebody who's really good at doing an impression. Because there are some people out there that are really impressive yeah. with their impressions. Yeah, I've seen like some Robin Williams videos where they like. Yeah, that one guy, like oh, he yeah. was amazing. He does a good Harrison Ford, that same actor as well. He should have been at least given a screen test to play Han Solo in Solo. Yeah. All right, I'm now going to transition back into our regularly scheduled <laughs> podcast so I can do a clean edit. 